Hear these words from the book that we love. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the month of, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. If you've been with us for a while, you know, just after Easter through July, we looked pretty slowly and steadily at the first five chapters of the book of Genesis. And if you're wondering, we are going to go back into Genesis. Um, we wanted to take a little bit of a break for uh, August into early September. And I'll get back to that, to that in a second. But we are going to pick up uh, Genesis 6 through 11 later in the fall and then during Advent, which um, I think is actually going to be really appropriate. We're going to be looking at part of the scripture that wrestles with the greatest era of spiritual darkness that we have in the scriptures right at the time when we're awaiting with the church around the world and remember Israel of old waiting for the light of the world to come to us in a manger. That's where we're going for like later this year. Um, what we've been doing in August is we've been looking in kind of a hodgepodge way, I'll admit it, at some things about the mission of the church. Why? Well, this is the time of year where uh, people who have been out of town for summer, uh, students who've been out of town, kind of come back in, and we really hit the stride of our year, September through May. And I want us to remember the mission of the church, the church of all times, in all places, has to be about, in a fresh way, as we welcome a lot of people back into our lives and we say hello to a lot of people for the first time. So, um, late July, early August, Jim Anger came and he talked about that passage, the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he actually left out the, the bread of that sandwich. That's just the meat. Went the next week to talk really carefully about the bread. Before Jesus says that, he says, I am with you always, except for after that. After that, he says, I am with you always. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And before it, he says, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. So we talked about how if you want to go into the world and be about the mission of God, telling people about the gospel, and what's the gospel, by the way? The gospel is... Uh, the news that the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus Christ who forgives all of our sins and has done nothing less than initiate a new creation where God's grace and his redemption will cover every sin and all of its effects. And you can be a part of that or not based on how you relate to the person, Jesus Christ, the man who is God. That's, that's the gospel we go out to proclaim in word and deed. But before you do that, you got to know him you got to be walking with him yourself. So we spent a little bit of time talking about, well, Psalm 23 we got into. The Lord is my shepherd. Is he? You've got to know him before you proclaim him. And then from there, getting a little bit into his love. Some Isaiah 43, uh, loving him as we've been loved. You want to go out there and you want to speak the words of Jesus and tell people about his kingdom. The Apostle Paul says it's actually worse than keeping your mouth shut if you have no love. 
for the people that you proclaim to. It's an absolute essential. So if you get my drift a little bit, we're talking about the groundwork for the mission of God. Don't just get up by your bootstraps and march into a world on fire and start talking about Jesus like just, it's just going to just happen. You're immediately going to be transformed yourself. Now, what about our discipleship? Some of that groundwork for who we are in Christ and all that he's done for us has to be there if we're going to believe that the gospel is good news to the world around us. So it's not really serious. It's just going back to some basics. In early September, we're going to go into a series then before we jump back into Genesis that I'm really excited about. And I hope you'd consider inviting some friends who aren't sure what they think about the church. Here's all it is. It's going through the Gospel of John and just looking at these encounters that Jesus has with people. There's no script. All of them are pretty different. How does Jesus have conversations with people that welcome them into his family, the church? That's where we're going to go a little bit later this fall. So just seemed worth saying, if you've been with us, like, kind of, what's the map here? That's the map. That's the map for the fall uh, through 2022 today. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the mission of the church, and I'm going to be looking at this Luke 5 passage, but we're also going to look back to the psalm that Carol read us through. That's Psalm 38, and I hope it becomes clear why. We've talked about the Great Commission. We've talked about the love of God for us and how we ought to then love the world. We've talked about the Lord as our shepherd and being his disciples ourselves before we invite anybody else to follow him with us. Here's something else we need as part of the groundwork for mission. We need the heart of Jesus for the people that he's helping. Maybe we've already talked about this. Well, we need to talk more about it. Here's what I mean. There's this, see, there's this, uh, this scene in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus has really just started to go out into the community and bless people and teach them and heal them and welcome them. And it's in Matthew 9. And it says, Jesus looked out at the crowds and he looked at all of them. And we get a sample of them in Matthew 8 and 9. They're the rich and they're the poor. They're the Jew and they're the Gentile. They are the squeaky clean, clean moral people. And then there are people who are just morally filthy in the eyes of the world. And he's speaking to them all. And he looks at all of them, and it says, Jesus' heart broke for them all. That's what the word compassion means. It means suffering with. Compassion. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, they were guilty, but they weren't only guilty. We talked a lot about guilt this summer. We talked about Genesis 3, Genesis 4. We're going to go back. Sin isn't just about guilt, though. It's also about affliction. It's also about illness. And that Matthew 9 moment is when Jesus says, I want to get all these people into my church, which is a hospital. I want to talk this morning about the church as a hospital. I don't know exactly what comes to mind when you think about the church as a hospital. Just think of a hospital for a second. For some of you, some of, the, some of these things might come to mind immediately. Uh, maybe for you, a hospital is a place of hope or a place of comfort. Maybe for some of you, it is a place of great sadness 
of sickness, of death. For some of you, it's work. A lot of you work at hospitals. The biggest employers in our city are hospital systems or contain hospital systems. It's kind of all those things. And I think that will become clearer. Here's one other thing you need to do when you hear hospital. Here's one check you have to keep in your mind and in your heart. It's this. Some of y'all, when you think of hospital, you're actually thinking of hospice. A hospital is just a place where, uh, well, you receive hospitality. That's, that's there in the name. Yes, that's part of it. But it's not like a hospice, which is there in the name too. Hospitality is there in hospice. What's a hospice? Hospice is a place where you just get as comfortable as you can until you die. I'll do respect. Not to say that's all cheery, but it is about comfort, not healing. A hospital is very different. It's about being comforted, sure, but it's also about the, slow, the sometimes slow process of getting better, which often does not feel good right away. All this is what the church, the church of old, this is one of the really early metaphors of what the church is. The bride, yeah, right out of scripture. The body, yeah, the church is a body. Church is not a building, we go into this in our class about the church for the New to Liberty class. It's not a building unless you're talking about a spiritual building. Peter uses this illustration, Paul uses it. It's also a hospital, and yes, that illustration also comes right out of Scripture. It comes out of Luke 5. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He's saying, I'm the doctor. What does that make us? The treated. The inpatients. The outpatients, too, hopefully. Two points this morning. Illness and healing. Illness and healing. If the church is a hospital, what illness do we come with? What healing do we find? And how is this essential for the church's mission? To see ourselves as a part of Jesus' hospital. First illness. I need you all to, to look back at, at uh, Psalm 38. This is on page 1 and 2 of the bulletin. If you have your own scriptures, you know how to get there. The Psalms are dead center. But... In case you don't have your own copy, Psalm 38. Just look at a few verses here. Look at the language of Psalm 38. And by the way, if you didn't know, this is just an extended confession of sin. But look at the illustrations that are baked in here. Verse 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. Verse 5. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. Verse 7. My sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. Verse 10. My heart throbs. My strength fails. The light of my eyes is also gone from me. Verse 11. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand, stand far off. David is obviously speaking of wounds caused by his sins and others' sins. Is he talking about literal 
flesh wounds. It does not seem like it, at least not in this passage. No, the Psalms are poetry, and this is figurative language. But this is one of those places where, even though the Scriptures are not speaking literally, it's poetry, it is no less true because of it. Psalm is true. The burning, the plague, the throbbing, the people standing far further off than from lepers, some people in our city. Not just because of what's on their skin on the outside or who they're hanging out with or where they live, but because of what they've done or reputed to have done. This is true. What happens when you're really wounded? Keep going with the physical. Keep going with the Psalm 38 illustration, the metaphor for a second. What happens when you're really, really wounded? A broken arm, a bad fall, a car accident. You're impaired. Yes, sin makes you guilty. It also impairs you. It afflicts you. Things don't work right. There is a lack of peace and power that there ought to be. And some of you know exactly what I mean already. Just one example. Think about the sins of idolatry, which in some ways are every sin. The, 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 the church has often said, you don't break any of the other Ten Commandments until you break the first one first. I have no other gods before me. Don't worship anything in the place of what God deserves alone. One of the fascinating, beautiful, I think, poetically, but also scary in its lived reality, truths of idolatry is you become like what you worship. This is Psalm 115. You worship beauty, you become a slave to that mirror. It affects you. You start grinding your teeth when you start seeing yourself in other people's eyes. Vain glory works all the way down into your guts. Your whole body is awake to what other people think of you, and it degrades you, even as you're primping. And so on and so forth. It's, it's every sin. It's formative in awful ways. If you spend a year, a month, a week, a day worshiping someone else, you can expect it to tax you in terms of spiritual peace and power, even though you may be forgiven. That's an always open door. He will cast away none who come to him for forgiveness. You may be forgiven, and you are certainly beloved. None of that's changed. None of that shakes. But you can still walk right back into more degradation. And if your eyes are open to all this, that you have a spiritual illness, you're saying a few things just by showing up at a hospital. And again, that's what we're doing right here. It's more than that. We need so many metaphors for the church. One of the things we're doing is we're showing up to be treated. You've been, a lot of you have been to the ER. Um, I probably use this as an illustration too much because I've been there a lot. <laughs> and um, one thing I've said a number of times about ER visits, the only reason anyone is there, it's actually the first thing that everybody in the ER has in common. You've been to Jefferson or Pennsylvania or, or Hup or Temple. The first and sometimes only reason everyone in the room has in common at the ER, you had to be there. 
if there was anywhere else you could be, you would be there. You don't want to be in the ER. You have to. Where else am I going to go? It's gotten this bad. This is my best option. Even though, of course, there are a number of things that you wish you could change about the place. There's a lot of things I wish I could change about this place. There's nowhere else for me to go. What we have in common in the ER, even if there's little else that's shared among us, we don't come because we want someone to rail on us. Are we guilty? Sure. And we got to hear about it. But that's different than getting railed on. How many people go to the doctor and just look forward to them just standing before you, just saying, what are you doing to yourself? My goodness. Like, actually, that's, that's actually a real problem. You know, nursing researchers have really talked about the problem of why people stay away from healthcare. If they get that sense, they just stay away, and it really severely, severely affects health outcomes. But you know where I've actually experienced this the most is at the dentist office. There's something about dentists, no offense to the dentist, is like I'll open my mouth and the dentist will come in and it's no, he or she, well, I won't tell you where I go now, but it's a she now. And I haven't had this problem with her yet. Um, but they'll lean over your mouth and will just say things like, what have you been doing? What, what, is, what is happening in this place? I'm like, thanks a lot. There's a great chance I'm going to say yes to this in six months. No. no but seriously, right? Guilt, yeah. Come to the hospital, you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm really complicit in what's happened to me. I've also done things that are degrading to me. It's part of my sin condition, and I need help. You don't come to Jesus, the physician, expecting him just to glean at you and glare at you and condemn you. Jesus is a righteous judge, make no mistake about it. But his mission, we're going to see this crystal clearly when we get into the Gospel of John. It's one of the things that's most exciting about it to me. The desire to condemn over guilt is by no means the driving passion of the mission of Jesus Christ. It's just not. It's not. He's seeking out to save the lost and the ill. Is he righteous judge? You better believe it. It's actually good news that he is. But it's his beating heart to welcome the lost home, to welcome the ill towards healing that sends him onto his mission. You don't come to get railed on. Here's the other thing, though, that we also really need to hear. You also don't come just to hear that you're fine. I mean, that really ought to convict. If we're coming here just to hear that we're fine, we are not treating this seriously, that we're only fine. Imagine, you walk in, you're bent over. You're, you can't stay at home. You would love to be at home if you could. But you come, and the doctor just says, you're fine, go home. What? Never. You don't come to get railed on, but you also don't come to hear that you're fine. What else? This is where I'm convicted, and I have to keep writing this down and remind myself. My experience with hospitals is I come in, and everybody's illness is way grosser than mine. And this is really true in the ER. Like, I'm there for a broken leg or a car accident or shingles, and there's just some kid who's been vomiting for like three hours, nonstop. It's like, are you kidding me? Just have some respect. Well, like, what, 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 what you bring your kid into, oh, okay, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> it's, it's the ER. But it's so nasty. There's so much worse. I'm condemned where I stand if I act that way. You get it, we're ill. That's the illness, that's the first point. Point two, healing. Luke 5. 
Let me just read it again. It's only a few verses. There's no reason not to. Bottom of page 3, verse 29 through 32. And Levi, tax collector, made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Think about this. This is a fascinating gathering of spiritually ill people surrounding Jesus at this point. Sexually immoral. You know, that, that sinner's line... It's a, it's a little bit of a gloss. Two chapters later, you get the story of the sinful woman, the woman with a reputation, read between the lines, that anoints Jesus in front of a lot of really, really moral-ish people. So sexual immorality is in there. Greedy people, that's the tax collectors. Violent people, those are the zealots. Their illnesses vary, and they're compound. It's, not, it's just not even one thing. Your illness is not just one thing. But the physician welcomes them all. And what does he do? What's the healing? Immediately before this passage in Luke 5, it's Luke's account of the guy who Jesus is speaking in a really busy time in his ministry. It's a crowded house. His friend's here. Jesus is in town. They can't get in the door. It's so crowded. So they rip off the roof and let this guy who's a paralytic down through the roof to encounter Jesus and Jesus sees it. He says, oh my goodness, what faith. And he says, I forgive you of your sins. And then turns away. And uh, the moral people are offended. I'm like, you can't do that. You're, you're acting like God. And that's the point. But I'm sure like the friends of the paralytic were also confused too. They're like, that's really helpful. <laughs> but that's not like why we really, really needed to get here. But again, it's not just the physical that he comes to heal. It's the spiritual. It really is both. That's why part of the Nicene Creed is I believe in the resurrection of the body. Your very body will be healed on the last day from every effect of sin. It's important to consider what Jesus was doing when he healed. He wasn't just drawing attention to himself or proving that he was God, although that was a demonstration of it. He was actually reversing the illness every time Jesus healed. He didn't just like levitate or blow the top off of a mountain with a laser beam coming out of his finger. He did walk on water. Although that was saying something else too. His healings were doing something as well as just showing a sign of who he was. He's reversing the curse. Reversing the physical manifestations of sin. Remember, redemption is a heaven and earth thing. It is a immaterial and material thing. It's bringing heaven and earth back together again as they were created in the beginning. He's putting broken things back together. He's undoing the curse of sin in our world that do include physical maladies. Yeah, in Luke 5, he was going to leave it at forgiveness, but he wasn't only, he wasn't only going to leave it there. He was going after the symptoms of what was wrong with the world, but he was also going after the source, and the source of everything that's wrong in the world is sin. Sin is the source of all the brokenness and illness in God's world. It's the source ultimately of death, and it is death that is ultimately put to death when the crucified Jesus rises from his tomb. 
This is what Isaiah and the Apostle Peter mean when they say, by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds and his flesh we are healed. Spiritually and one day completely physically. So, great. Let me get really, really nitty-gritty detailed to end this thing. How does spiritual healing begin? You're sick. We can do something with that. You don't know that you are. We got to talk another time if you, know, if, if, if you don't believe me yet. But if you are leaning in and saying, yes, that's me, I also, I've not only been victimized by sin, but I also committed a good bit of it to harm myself, others, and to sin against God, then we can get going and we can talk about healing. There's a definitive sense and an ongoing sense of healing with Jesus. You know, when we talk about being saved, you know, Christians talk about that sometimes. Um, when we talk about being saved, what we mean is when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the man who is God, who was crucified for the sins of humanity and rose again and lives now to save anyone who believes in him, what we're saying is in Christ, those who trust in him are so forgiven now that when they stand before God on the last day, they can be sure now of their pardon on that day. It's like that day rushes, forth, rushes forward into the present, and we can live in that reality now, trusting in him. I'm forgiven. I'm, I'm a child of the promise. I'm going to be with him for eternity. That's absolutely true. And so there's that definitive sense, like you're healed. By his wounds, we have been healed. Peter talks in the past tense like it's already happened. And yet, at the same time, there's an ongoing sense. Why? Well, you tell me. You sinned on the way here. The illness is still getting at you. You still run after it. You still need the first commandment and all the rest. You still play with fire. Salvation, your being saved, is still getting worked out day by day. And you can be more or less healthy in this life as you let him heal you. And you can do more or less harm in this life as you run toward him or away from him. So let me just talk about that ongoing sense in some detail. First, three things I'll give you. How do you get healed in an ongoing way by the physician of your soul? You start by naming your illness. Just go to the ER. Bring it to light. Do not underestimate, this is really important, do not underestimate the power of clear, explicit confession of sins. I'm not saying you have to tell your life story in detail to everyone in this room. That would probably be a bad idea. But it must be to someone. And someone who you grant a certain amount of authority in your life. There are authority structures in the church, but I found out, not because all of you all hate me, I don't think, but there are some things that you're just not going to go to your pastor with. I'm here, like I often have said to people, oh, they got my phone number, they got my email address. And people said, John, they're not going to talk to you about that. <laughs> Even though they can. And you know what? There's a whole church out there and out there. Do not underestimate the power 
of clear, explicit, getting it off your chest in a context of grace that also takes it seriously, like ER seriously, like we're here to help each other get well, kind of seriousness and giving them some authority in your life. What is an illness? Just take a moment. What is an illness that you know is there, a spiritual illness, that today, you really could today begin to take it seriously, and you haven't been? Where, because of sin, are you impaired? Where does it hurt? Where are you letting it spread to others? Sometimes by, con- sometimes by confession alone, huge burdens drop. Huge ones, boulders. It's powerful. I do not believe that's the only thing, but that's where it starts. Go to Christ. Go to his body, his hospital. Secondly, that's the first confession needs. Secondly, I'm going to call it routine care. Think, about, think of this as family medical practice. Think about this as your uh, local physician that you go to to get referrals. Your local congregation. The ordinary means of grace is something that you need for your healing. Routine care. By this I mean worship services. You come to serve God, but God always serves more than he's served. This is not about you. This is about him. You come to bring him something, as I prayed in the pastoral prayer before we got started uh, with this sermon. But he also, he also is a bestower of an unspeakable number of gifts. But not just that. Run to his word. Use prayer. Fasting. The body of Christ. These are the routine Routine means of grace. If you have any confusion about where in the world would I get started, prayer, great. You know, we do it, I listen, I come. What in the world would it look like for me to pray on my own? Right on the table outside this room, there's a document called Beginning to Pray, which is a collection of resources that starts with um, utter simplicity. It's not about being uh, like a monk in his cell. It's about simple things often. Simple ways to begin praying right away and then gives you a path for a lot greater depth as well. Pick that out on the way out the door. It'll be in the weekly email as well. There's also one called an introduction to devotional scripture reading. Same thing. Uh, Simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. Frequency over depth to get started if this is brand new to you. But this is primary care physician stuff. And you absolutely need it. What does the doctor say when you go to the hospital and you've got a thousand things wrong? Like, How long has it been since you went to the doctor? Routine care. So confession of need, routine care. And then there's specialized care. Listen, there are specific areas where I and some of you need healing. And you need someone to walk with you closely. Pride, anger, greed, lust, gluttony, or maybe also it's how are you carrying the scars of being sinned against and struggling with how to bring that to the light. There's a good chance that there are people in this church who relate to what you're going through and have walked a healing path with others. 
If not, there are people in Philadelphia who have, and we know them. And we want to help you connect to them. I've also heard, just as I've heard people say, John, they're not going to come to you about that. Uh, so why don't they go to somewhere else? Why don't they go some, to someone else in our church? And they said, John, they don't know them. So just for the sake of utter clarity, Carol, would you raise your hand for a second? This is Carol Davis, and I'm just having her raise her hand on behalf of our women's ministry team, which is five or six women in our church, women leaders, who we believe are very safe and wise to turn to if you don't want to come to me or another pastor or elder in this church. Stephen, would you mind raising your hand? Stephen's a pastor here. He's also the point person for our men's ministry team and to get you connected to the counseling ministries both within and alongside of our church. You really don't have to go far. Friends, we are patients in the hospital. Let me make it clear. It's not me. It's not Carol. It's not Stephen. It's not your favorite commentary writer of scripture. Who is your healer? There's one healer of souls, and it's Jesus Christ. But he's got a body. The Apostle Paul refers to the church as the fullness of Christ. What does he mean? Does he mean I'm God? He says, no. He's the head. We are all united and connected to him. He is the healer. Here are your resources as well. You're not fine. We expect to be compassionately reminded of that. But we also expect to get better. And many of you testify of that and have this year. Just the final word, folks. I, I, I mean, I hope it speaks for itself. What in the world does this have to do with the mission of the church? I'm kind of trusting you with that one. I think it's clear, but if not... Is the world around us out of line and in need of putting right? Yes, but that's not all. Is the world around us guilty and in need of a righteous good, a righteous judge? Yes, it is. But that righteous judge is also a savior. We have a healer to offer people. A healer to offer this city. And like anything else, if you're going to offer it, you've got to experience it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.